Chapter 7 of Down in Water Street by Samuel Hadley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 Love the Drawing Power. Nearly all the policemen in New York know about the Water Street mission and its work. So also does every tough, bunco steerer, professional sneak thief, and other specimens of the class, who, after persistently violating the law and placing themselves in bad repute, find themselves shut out from every opportunity to earn an honest living and who dwell in the shadow of the penitentiary or the electric chair throughout their miserable lives when the convict who has served his term in sing sing prepares to face the world again that world that can be counted upon to do its utmost towards driving him back to the prison he is usually advised of the thorny path before him and the last sentence of the advice is this you had better go and see hadley down at the water street mission as the convict has heard of Hadley before, if he purposes to reform, he makes his way to our mission. There he is sheltered, fed, and clothed, if need be, and put to work at something. He is asked no questions. No promises are exacted. He has no rules to observe except the one rule of order. He is not lectured on his past. He is not exhorted. Although it is essentially a religious institution, neither Bible nor tract is forced upon him. He is left to himself without restraint of any kind. He is neither watched nor suspected. He is usually puzzled to know what the whole thing means. He is treated as a brother, as if he were the best man in the world. He meets with unvarying kindness on every hand. Sometimes he comes to the conclusion that he has a snap and proceeds to work it for all it is worth. He takes advantage of confidence and steals whatever of value he can lay his hands on and departs with a chuckle. Sooner or later, he is driven back again by hunger to the only place where he can get shelter and food. On his return, he is met with the same welcome, the same kindness. There is no word of reproof for him, not even a suggestion or hint that he has not acted honorably. Again and again, he may show the cloven foot, but at last he finds that in the old Macaulay Water Street Mission there is a stock of love that cannot be exhausted. That here, if nowhere else, the spirit of the founder of Christianity is in full force. It is no wonder that, as a usual thing, the tough heart of the criminal is finally broken by the glorious principle of love, and he becomes a practical, earnest Christian, working powerfully among his former associates to bring them to the one who has saved him. The most welcome at the Water Street Mission are those who are utterly wrecked, those whose every effort at reform has failed. Refuse, outcasts, humanity— male and female, and when these are finally converted, the power they manifest on others and in their conversion is marvelous. But, reader, it is love that drives our chariot wheels, and death must yield to love. Love never faileth, love thinketh no evil, seeketh not its own, beareth all things. First Corinthians 13 We never tire of reaching out the hand of friendship to the crook, the drunkard, or the courtesan during their unhappy misspent lives. And when they die without friends, we give them a Christian burial. We are thankful to get the worst people on earth here. We have had hundreds of converts here who were such outcasts that the dogs would bark at them on the streets. With no other purpose but to see if they could get a night's lodging or a bite to eat, they came here. And here Jesus met them and saved them by his grace. And they are now taking care of their families. Fine, strong Christian men, members of the churches, and a blessing to all who know them when a few years ago they were an unmitigated curse to society. Did they come for salvation? Oh, no, they came to beat us out of anything, from a night's lodging to a suit of clothes. 
Everyone here is treated as if he were a man. No one is turned away. I give to everyone that asketh, and him that would borrow from me I turn not away. This opens his eyes. He is so used to being kicked and thumped and turned down that he opens his eyes wide. His poor heart is broken, and he looks for the source, and when I tell him I was a thief, a drunkard, and a liar, he kneels down and we tell Jesus all about it. He makes a start. He may fall once or many times. Who does not? Is it any wonder? His acquaintances are all drunkards, and the saloons are ready to welcome him on every hand. But if he does fall, we pick him up, and it often shows him that he must make a full surrender of spirit, soul, and body to God. We believe in holiness of heart and life, and we teach it, and many of our converts have entered into that place of safety. A host of the converts of the Macaulay Water Street Mission have been called into Christian work, many more than I have room to speak of in this volume. I shall give some portraits and histories of those who have come under my own observation, those whom I have seen converted, and those whose lives I have known. One night an old man came in, whom I shall call the Old Colonel. He was one of the most typical tramps that ever came into our mission, where the lost congregate in such numbers. No pen can adequately describe his condition, but I may be able to give a faint idea of how he looked. He was over six feet tall and sixty years of age, but he looked a hundred. His dirty gray beard was a foot long, and his hair of the same color hung a foot down his back. His eyes were bleared and full of matter, and the hue of his face showed that he and water had long been strangers. He had on an old ragged overcoat, probably pulled out of some ash barrel, and fastened with a nail. An old coat and vest completed his wardrobe. His trousers could not be called a part of his outfit, for they were little more than holes with rags tied around them. He had on no shirt or undershirt, and on his feet were pieces of rags tied up with strings. I had known him for years. He was a common beggar. He came in here June 1887 to see me. It was Sunday night, and in the middle of the service, he stood and peered forward and said, Mr. Hadley, are you there? Yes, I said, I am here. Will you pray for me? I am contrite. At the invitation, he came up with probably 20 others and prayed away like a man in dead earnest. When we arose from our knees, he stood up and said, Well, I am saved. There is no doubt about it. At the close of the service, he came up on the platform and put his arm around my neck and said, Brother Hadley, what are you going to give me? Oh, said I, you will get a night's lodging. Yes, said he, that's right, but what else? I will give you a quarter for your breakfast, said I. That's right, said he. I always knowed you were a Christian. And with his quarter and ticket for a bed, he tottered off. As he left me, he said, I'll come every night. Oh, don't, said I, just come occasionally. But he said again, Yes, Brother Hadley, I'll come every night. Who was this specimen of the devil's cruel power and handiwork? He was from one of Ohio's oldest and best families, from a wealthy, prosperous Christian home. After going through college, he studied law in the office of E.M. Stanton, the great war secretary under the immortal Lincoln. He married and began to practice law. But alas, in college he began to drink whiskey, and everywhere he was a failure. He entered the army at the outbreak of the Civil War and served through that fearful struggle with credit, and was mustered out a colonel in an Illinois cavalry regiment, a confirmed drunkard. He tried to struggle against that deadly habit which had so securely fastened itself upon him, but it was useless. At last, when home, wife, and children were gone, he became utterly discouraged. 
he gave up in despair and, coming to New York, took an assumed name. He never went near the post office and ultimately came to be a street beggar. For over a quarter of a century, he had been a confirmed drugkard. This was the man who came up for prayers that night. He was on hand early the following evening, as he promised. He came forward for prayers when the invitation was given and prayed away like a good fellow. After we rose from our knees, he stood up and with much unction said he was saved sure this time. He tried to put his arms around me again, but I repelled him this time with much more vigor than grace, I fear. I pointed him to the door. Do you mean it? He said. If you linger much longer, I said, you will see if I mean it. He went away slowly, cursing me, the mission, and everybody else. He swore he would die in the streets before he would ever come in again. I had been sorely tried that night. I had been compelled to put out three longshoremen who came in drunk looking for a fight. I was clearly a backslider. My heart smote me as I saw the miserable, hopeless figure go out into the night. I went to bed, but not to sleep. I could think of nothing else, pray for nothing else. I felt he must be saved or I would be lost. The next two weeks was an important period in my Christian life. I must have slept, but it seemed to me I did not. I believe I learned a little, just a little, as much as I was able to bear, of what the blessed Jesus suffered for me that awful night in the garden. Two weeks from that day, we had our monthly meeting of rescue workers. Our speaker had disappointed us, and someone said, Call on Brother Hadley. Yes, I have something to say, I said, and in shame and tears I told them about the old colonel and how I had treated him. While I was making the confession, it seemed as if the Holy Ghost fell upon us all. No one said pray, but all fell to their knees. They prayed for the old colonel, and they prayed for me that God would deliver my soul. While they prayed, the clouds broke. Get up, I said, you need not pray any more. They gathered around me and said, Oh, Brother Hadley, have you got your answer? I have, said I, as I wrung their hands. At the same hour that we were praying, a friend of mine, Jerry H. Griffin, a redeemed drunkard, who had known of my agony, and who knew the colonel, came across him in Battery Park, and told him I was praying for him. I hastened to the elevated road and came down to Water Street, and there on the back bench sat the colonel. It was my turn now, and as I put my arms around his neck, he burst into tears. I got him a beefsteak, some potatoes, bread and butter and coffee. He ate like a famished animal. I got a tub of hot water, a bar of soap, and plenty of towels, and with the hands that pen these lines, I washed this poor outcast. I threw his old vermin-infested rags into the furnace. I dressed him in clean clothes from head to foot. I then took him across the street to the barber shop and told them to put the clipper on him. His long hair and beard soon disappeared, but the mustache seen in his picture was left. He stayed to the meeting and came forward for prayers. But, oh, how changed! His whole frame trembled with emotion, and tears fell from his eyes as he cried, O oh Lord, if it is not too late, forgive this poor lost sinner. I told my helpers to let him alone, as the Lord had held of him. For six nights this was repeated, and at the close of our service on Saturday night he arose and said with heaven in his face, O oh, Brother Hadley, I am saved. I said, I believe you. Then we did have a hug. From that instant, the old beggar tramp was changed into a child of God. He fairly loathed rum and all its works. God restored his intellect, which was so badly impaired. His youth returned, and he became, as the reader can see, a dignified Christian gentleman. Thousands have heard him during the thirteen years he was among us tell of the wonderful love of Jesus. 
He was at last taken sick, and I placed him in the Presbyterian Hospital. He died triumphant in Jesus and was buried from dear old Water Street Mission. Was it for crimes that I have done, he groaned upon the tree, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. End of chapter 7